You are listening to the American Truth Project Podcast. If you are watching on your computer, make sure you get us on your local cable provider. Go to youtubeamerica.com and enter your zip code to find out where you can find us locally. I'm Barry Nussbaum, warming up this couch for Dr. Gina. Welcome back to America Trends. Let's talk Turkey. Turkey, the country. There's so much going on there, and we don't know clearly what's happening. This coup, was it real? Who was behind it? Massive allegations about torture and imprisonment against the Turkish government. Here to give us insight, the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, the author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim patriot, a fight to save his faith, Dr. Zudi Jasser, and somebody I look up to. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jasser. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. So let's talk about this coup. First, there are some rumors it was staged by Erdogan to be able to consolidate his power and move the country farther into the Islamic radical camp. Is that any chance of that being true? Well, initially I thought, geez, you know, that is uh, quite a far-fetched thing, and it almost appears to be turning out to be true. I mean, we don't know yet, but it certainly smells like a Reichstag fire for the Islamist Nazis that uh, seem to be what Erdogan is turning his AKP into. Remember, the AKP is basically the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey. And there's a triangle of threat, if you will, or, or power struggle in Turkey. One corner, which has been in control since 2002, is Erdogan's AKP. The other corner is the secularists, the, the military that uh, has been sworn to protect the Constitution for to maintain the secular identity of Turkey. And that third corner is the Gulenists, the sort of neo-Islamist movement that's more cultish-oriented but yet sort of concealed and it appears Erdogan, by blaming Gulen, who, by the way, is uh, uh, living comfortably in their, near the Poconos in Pennsylvania, he's been blaming them. But, you know, there have been four coups in Turkey in the past 50, 60 years. They were all successful. This one was amateurish. It only had a few people. And if you look at the um, sequence of events, nothing happened after the few people they arrested. And most of them have disappeared. The two that led it have been severely tortured. It really smells like an inside operation to use it as an excuse. And look at who benefited. Since this happened, Barry, 21,000 professors related to the Gulenist movement and others have been cleansed from universities. They had a list they were ready to go after. And this little amateur operation that happened, whatever stimulated it, benefited only one person, and that's Erdogan and his thugs at the AKP. Okay, two questions as a follow-up. Number one. I saw uh, a CIA analyst um, right when the coup was going down say, first mistake, you never stage a coup if you can't grab the guy in power. They did this while he was away on vacation. They let him stay wherever he was, and they just made announcements over public media. So Erdogan was able to stay in power consolidate a military response and rally the people, so to speak, it was amateur hour in terms of how they staged it. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, Barry, my, my family's from Syria, and they escaped in 1966. 
and my grandfather, who, who tried to be part of the democratization in Syria after 47, uh, which failed. There were 20 coups in Syria between 1951 and 1963 until the Ba'athists took over. Every time the head of the coup would get on the media immediately and say, I'm taking over the government, number one. Number two, the former president would be either arrested or shot or, or assassinated on camera or with evidence that they've taken over from the head. As you said, Erdogan was in flight. There's a graphic that shows his flight pattern sort of circling around uh, Istanbul on his way back until the media had turned over and said that they were no longer, that the coup had been stopped. So it was, it was very bizarre. We really may never know the answer other than the fact that there has been a huge catapult for the ability of Erdogan to basically suffocate the Turkish people. Well, let's talk about the second part of what you said. Uh, really nice historical reference, uh, Doctor, in regards to the Reichstag fire in um, early Nazi control of Germany, where it was obviously staged as an excuse for the Nazis to step in. There were maybe as many as 100,000 people arrested uh, within a week. They had the lists in the military, in the government, uh, in the judiciary, in the universities. Uh, literally, they had the roundup lists ready to go. They knew who the enemies were, and the roundups were almost instantaneous. I can't even believe that people wouldn't see how obvious that was, and yet it happened and nobody's protesting. Yeah, it is, it is amazing in that uh, um, it, it's just so plain to see. And just look at the trajectory. The week before the, uh, uh, the coup attempt, uh, or supposed coup attempt, he had, Erdogan had reached out to um, Russia, had reached out to Assad, folks who he had been trying to uh, oust through his support of even ISIS or Islamist groups in Syria. So there was an apparent, he not only was consolidating power internally, but doing things externally to make sure that his buddies in the Arab League and in the uh, uh, authoritarian regimes around him were in support of what he was going to do. And I will tell you, if you look at his verbiage, Erdogan called democracy, he, he said, er, democracy is like a train. You get on it until you don't need it anymore, and then you get off. And that's exactly what he was doing. The lists were used as a way to cleanse out many of those who were against him. And the Gulenists, by the way, who I'm no fan of because of how concealed and, and uh, um, protean and unknown their movement is, they're not violent. There's no evidence that they have ever tried anything violent or militant in their movement. So now to call for them, and by the way, he put America on notice. The heads of his military that he trusted said that unless America turns over Gulen, then we will be basically, it'll be considered an act of war. Imagine a NATO ally telling that to America, another NATO ally. I can't follow. I don't understand how we're putting up with it. Last question before we bring you back in the next segment. Explain this to me. It's going to take your expertise to make sense out of it. He reached out to Israel after all these years of estrangement right before the coup to basically reestablish ties. Real quick, and then we'll pick it up on the other side. Was that legitimate on his part? It is basically a utilitarian method to tell the folks that he fears the most that he's on their side. And what he's doing is feeding into the fear that somehow the world and the West needs to take the side of dictators rather than the people. So he said, well, I'm going to stage this thing. 
But yet, tell Israel, tell the West that I'm with them and they need me more than they need the We'll leave it there. We're going to come right back. More Dr. Jasser right after this. All the way from a sunny and warm SoCal into 32 million homes and counting, this is America Trends. I'm Barry Nussbaum filling in tonight for Dr. G. Our poll question today, do you believe the Democratic leadership rigged the primaries for Hillary? Yes or no? You know what my answer was. You heard my opening. So back to where we were. Islamic attacks across Europe are rampant from France to Munich. Now the Al-Qaeda chief is urging for the kidnapping of Westerners. Dr. Zudi Jasser is back. Let's go back to where we were. I want to pick this up, doctor, with the question I asked you about Israel. It's hard for me to believe uh, Turkey with this monster military, its enormous air force, its enormous ground game, is making nice with Benjamin Netanyahu right before the coup that moves him farther and farther away from the West, NATO and Israel, more and more into the, the depths of the mother, Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, what else can you add to that? I'm lost on this one. Well, I think you have to understand the way the, the tribal leaders work is that uh, it's all about deception. It's, it's, uh, never, it's never about the reality of what's happening within their country. So what they do is try to push the eyes away like a magician. So they say, oh, we're with you, don't worry. While in the meantime, they use it as an opportunity to clean out what's happening. I mean, Assad did it, and that's been Assad's method internally with ISIS. While he's wiping out and bombing our neighborhoods, the moderate neighborhoods, over the past few years, he has basically uh, overseen a, a growth of ISIS to legitimize a military dictatorship, and that's exactly the play. The Arab Tyrant Manual, there's a hashtag, Barry, on Twitter called Arab Tyrant Manual 101, and one of those manuals says, create distractions so that you consolidate power within. So look over there, and while you're not paying attention, uh, I can make myself stronger and I can eliminate my enemies? Exactly. And what you do is you create frenemies with those who may be perceived. I mean, this is the same guy who brought through a, a number of flotillas who helped Iran uh, um, miss the sanctions and, and uh, um, pre, you know, the, uh, the sanctions that he uh, um, were supposed to be pushed on Iran. They allowed gold to be sold through Turkey. I mean, this is a guy who's no friend of Israel. And yet all of a sudden, just a few outreaches to Netanyahu in the world saying, oh, my gosh, maybe he's moderating. Morsi tried to do the same thing by saying he was going to help negotiate peace with Hamas. And he was always as deeply anti-Semitic as he was from the from the first day he took power. Wow. Interesting. Thanks for the insight. Let me read you this quote that was published from a directorate of ISIS to the migrant jihadists in Europe. Quote, tell the tyrants of Europe to open the gates of migration or else we will open the gates of hell in Europe. And it came from the caliphate. What can you tell me about the major plan to flood Europe with Islamic radicalism? Well, that's, that's a fascinating quote because, again, I think that's deceptive. I think at the end of the day, the reason there were millions going and flowing into Europe, and now we see the terrorism sort of as a sonic boom, is that Assad, a year ago, handed out five million passports to Sunni families. Our families in Aleppo and Damascus were getting passports and being told, you leave in the next six months or your neighborhoods are going to be wiped out. He wanted to depopulate Syria of Sunnis. 
So what ISIS does is in their end of time scenario, all they want is violence and destruction and war throughout the Middle East and through Europe. Europe is the land of war. They live in the land of Islam, which is Muslim majority, so they want to control that. In the land of war, they say, well, they would rather the Sunnis come back to fight with them. But if they're not going to fight, then fight where they are in Europe and cause terrorism and destruction. So ultimately, they see them lost. They can't bring those millions who would be troops for them against Assad back. So they tell them to go ahead and commit acts of terrorism. Got it. So going back to, to Turkey, Amnesty International is out with a report today, um, actually from the inside of Turkey, uh, talking about mass terror, torture, uh, rapes of soldiers in prisons where they're chained up naked without food or water mm -hmm. for days on end. Do you think Turkey is going to do anything in response or ignore Amnesty International like everybody else in the Middle East? Turkey has absolutely no interest in paying attention to the standards that we have in the West. This is why they, they're starting to reach out to Russia. And uh, they'll, you'll see them get closer to Iran, which was very uh, unusual in the past for a, a, a Turkish government that really they've already you saw Erdogan a couple of years ago say that he is no longer uh, a part of the uh, um, um, Sykes-Picot agreement. He sees that he wants to re rebuild the Ottoman Empire, but yet reaches out to Iran and Russia much more so than he would the West. So he's not whole. He's not going to hold himself accountable to the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights or any standards from human rights organizations. And it is no longer a democracy in Turkey. And what we need to do is figure out, are we going to use the same 20th century paradigm that got us to this, which is, as Condoleezza Rice said, for too long in the Middle East, we exchanged security for liberty and we got neither. And unfortunately, in the future, I think we have to start warming up to the Arab awakening and the movements for freedom, which, yes, may pose a vacuum for Islamists, but I think there are movements there that are the future. The security of Israel will only come when they're surrounded by democracies. These dictatorships are not their allies. So what does NATO do, Dr. Jasser? This is a NATO-aligned country. They're a member of NATO. And now they're, they're radicalizing, they're moving into the seventh century, as it were. They're going away. They'll be the only dictatorship. They're going to be the only radical Muslim country dealing with the West and internally inside of NATO. What does NATO do? Well, I think England and the UK uh, uh, led the way on this uh, with Brexit. Now, they exited the EU. But the bottom line is I think NATO is going to have to come to terms with what ideology they represent. And I think what the UK realized, whether they intended or not, was that the national, the secular national state is the only antidote. It's 81% of Muslims in Britain say they're Muslim first and British second. At the American Islamic Forum, we teach our Muslim youth that not only do they not want to ever die for ISIS or the Islamic State, but we would rather only die for America, for the secular state, which preserves our freedom. NATO is going to have to begin to reconvene what it stands for, and Turkey is that test. And not only do they reconvene what they stand for internally inside Europe as they have an influx of a clash of civilization coming with the millions of refugees, but they also reconvene what they stand for globally. Are we going to advance freedom and liberty abroad or are we going to continue to call allies, draconian countries like Saudi Arabia, Iran that now we handed $150 billion to that is going to be used to continue a genocide in Syria, fund terrorism through Hezbollah, 
and, and global terrorism from Iran. I wish we could clone you, send you to Europe, and have you educate the Europeans who are taking in refugees without any consideration of who they are, where they've come from, and what their agendas are. We created our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration, two pages, which says these, these are the principles that are Western. We stand against the caliphate. We stand against all Islamic states. We call for the equality of men and women, against apostasy laws, blasphemy laws, any Sharia laws in government. That should be used as a test for anyone coming in that wants refuge or immigration. It should be used as a test for screening, for security clearances, and until our governments in the West start to look at what principles make us free societies and use that as a test for Muslims, not, not to kick out citizens as Newt and others have mentioned, but at the end of the day, use it as a way to figure out who's our allies and who our enemies are. And we're not we're doing We're going to leave it there. I hope America looks you up. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.